But really, if you think about it, if if you become an entrepreneur, it's not like your value as an employee decreases effort, right? And you can always go back to what you were doing at a minimum, uh, and more likely, you know, you would have the opportunity to do new and cool, uh, better things, right? Because companies are often looking for folks that can quote unquote take ownership or perhaps have a more innovative or entrepreneurial bent to them to help drive new innovations within those companies. You're listening to Chief Executive Ante, the podcast exploring the work lives of Asian Americans beyond the conventional doctor, lawyer, and engineer. I'm your host, Jennifer Duan Faltz. Hi, Gong. Welcome to the show. It's great to be here, Jennifer. So tell me in your own words, what do you really do for a living? What do I really do? Um, so my title is CEO and co-founder of Civic Champs. Um, but I think you're trying to ask, you know, what do I do do, if you will? <laughs> so, so as an entrepreneur, I think my job is to provide the vision and also the... Um, general leadership for, for, for the team on, on where we want the company to go. Um, but because also I'm not technical, a lot of my job revolves around sales. Mm-hmm. And so whether that's selling new prospective clients or selling employees on the vision and joining us for this journey, um, that's a big part of what I do as well. Okay. Can you tell me a little bit more about Civic Champs, what the organization is, what your product? Um, sure, Absolutely. So Civic Champs, uh, we're a social enterprise based here in Bloomington. Um, We also have a small office in Pittsburgh as well. And our mission is to make volunteering a frictionless experience for both the volunteers and nonprofits. Mm -hmm. And so our first product um, is a mobile application that automates volunteer hour tracking. And so we create little geofences around volunteer uh, events or sites, and when someone shows up with their Civic Champs app, they can just tap a button that says check in, um, and they get checked into the event. And mm-hmm. then when they uh, leave, it'll actually prompt them and say, hey, Jennifer, it looks like you're done for the day. Would you like to check out? Right, And so it's very seamless and easy, and they can. the goal is to allow volunteers to do that across any organization. Mm-hmm. So does, do you sell your product primarily to... Then to nonprofit organizations are those your main customers for mm-hmm. this? Yep. Okay. Yep. So most of our clients are uh, nonprofits, but they span the range from uh, places like a community kitchen that has volunteers to uh, organizations that provide volunteers, like a Rotary. Mm-hmm. And what was your inspiration for starting Civic Champs and designing this particular product? Yeah, I think uh, the original inspiration. So we pivoted mm-hmm. <laughs> the. Um, Original idea was really to create a mobile game for volunteering, mm-hmm. and that was inspired by two sort of trains of thought. One is I, I enjoy gaming, uh, but it's a little bit of a guilty pleasure. <laughs> and so I thought, oh, what if you could create something that was both fun but also did social good, and so you could feel good about it at the end of the day, like Pokemon Go for volunteering. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so an example of that is the city of Bloomington does not have a digitized map mm-hmm. of all the light fixtures in the city. 
Um, and so there's no reason you and I can go around and take photos and geotag them and we upload and create this great map. And I'm sure if you overlay that information with, let's say, crime rates, you you, you would get interesting insights out mm-hmm. of that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we ultimately decided not to do that for a number of different reasons. But in that process, we got to talk with a number of nonprofits mm-hmm. and we realized that they just have much more fundamental pain points. And while a Pokemon Go for volunteering is cool in concept, it's not really what would help them the most, right? And so Civic Champs was really uh, born at that moment to help address these more core pain points of the nonprofits, mm-hmm. including things like tracking their volunteer hours, engaging them, etc. I think that's a really important point for founders and entrepreneurs because people come up with cool ideas that they really like, but it's not always what their target audience needs the most. Um, you know, one of my mentors had this example of like selling drill bits. Nobody buys a drill bit because they want a drill bit. They want a hole in the wall to hang a picture. Right. And the alternative solution would be like a command hook or something mm-hmm. like that. So um, I think I think that's a mistake, not mistake, but just kind of error that a lot of younger freelancers yeah. and creatives make is like, Oh, I want to do this really cool thing, but is it actually meeting anybody's needs? Right. Um, the job to be done, so to speak. Yes, exactly. The job to be done. Uh, you have a background in, uh, you went to Michigan State, right? I did. Go green. I went to Ohio State. So I guess <laughs> the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Yeah. I suppose. Right. At least for two games uh, out of the year. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's really strange being in another Big Ten town. Um, mm-hmm. Be coming from another Big Ten school, but we survive. I do get some funny looks with my OSU t-shirts on, but right. it is what it is. Uh, so how did your, and then you have an MBA from Harvard, yes? Yep. How did your education or any of your previous work experience prepare you for this current role that you have? Yeah, that's a great question. I think from an educa- education standpoint, certainly um, if you think about the my MBA I think a lot of the fundamental business concepts are taught in an MBA, and so mm-hmm. that's certainly been helpful. Um, I think I had a little bit of a head start since I worked at McKinsey uh, before going to Harvard. That a lot, you know, that also taught you a lot of sort of basic business concepts, mm-hmm. and uh, but more importantly, how to you know do analyses and break down problems and how to think critically. I think that was a big part of. Uh, what I learned out of consulting. I think from Michigan State, um, I did a a major in supply chain management that was in the business school, and then I did international relations that was uh, out of the James Madison College. Okay. And so those two degrees, I think combined, actually provided a great complement. So on the business school, certainly you learn about business. Supply chain was also great because uh, unlike a lot of other business topics, there is a right answer, <laughs> right? Um, you, can, you can optimize your, right. um, your inventory, and, and, and I thought that, was, that always spoke to me, having sort of, quote-unquote, the right answer. It's kind of like a game, too. Like, you either get stuff where it needs to go, or you don't. Or you don't, right, exactly. And then it's, it's very data-driven, mm-hmm. and I tend to be more analytical. And so that was, uh, that was really helpful. Um, and then, too, you know, when you think about international relations, while, it, you know, Civic Champs is not an international company, uh, but I think that degree helped broaden my perspective. Um, You got to understand and learn about different cultures, which I think is ultimately helpful as you're building a company and trying to build empathy for your customers. Mm 
Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I majored in English and also molecular genetics, and I'm not really technically doing anything with either of those degrees anymore. But like, you know, like you said, the analysis, the critical thinking, the problem solving, those really can transfer. Those have transferred into all of the many adventures I have tried to do over the last 10 years. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. What does a typical, if there is one, a typical work day or week or month kind of look like for you? Yeah, so I'll start with the month. That's a little easier. So I tend to spend about two weeks a month here in Bloomington, Mm -hmm. a week in Pittsburgh, and then a week somewhere else traveling uh, to different places, usually here in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. I think if you look at a a week-to-week basis, we have our standing team meeting on Mondays, and then we have a product meeting on Fridays. But most of my days uh, is, is really around sales. And so... Uh, whether that's meeting new potential clients, onboarding folks, uh, following up with them, uh, that's probably what I do most of my days. Mm-hmm. I think that you know when we're fundraising, obviously that's also a big chunk of it as well. Mm-hmm. How much of a hand do you have in the development of the product itself? Yeah, great question. Since I'm not technical, <laughs> so I have a great technical co-founder, and um, we have a great head of product, uh, Chris. And so for me, it's really providing them guidance from the client perspective, mm-hmm. since I am sort of face-to-face with clients all the time, mm-hmm. and, under- and, and sort of translating, hey, you know, it sounds like they had this need, mm-hmm. um, and working with them to say, okay, how do we address that need? Not necessarily what specific feature they asked for, mm-hmm. but more, hey, here's what they want to have happen. Right. How do we... How do we accomplish that? Right. Clients clients don't go around thinking about features. They just think, oh, I have this problem and I want to solve it. I don't I don't know how. I don't really care right. how. I just want it solved. Although they, they do sometimes communicate that uh, in the form of a uh, of requested a fe- feature. Okay. Right? And yeah. just understanding that they may not actually want that specifically, but... Uh, something to address whatever it is that they're trying to solve. Mm-hmm. Did you start out with this co-founder, or I guess you kind of worked, started at the same time to develop the product, or did you? And you, how did you build your team? Yeah, great question. So uh, I have two co-founders, uh, Ryan and Mike. They uh, they've been with me sort of from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, I started doing this full time a little earlier in mm-hmm. February of this year. They joined. Uh, full time in May. Ryan needed to graduate from his MBA. That was uh, that was important. Minor detail. Yeah, and then and then Mike um, needed to move down from Ann Arbor to to here Bloomington, and so that took a couple months. Um, but yeah, they were sort of with me from the beginning, um, and even Chris. You know, I would say uh, he he was with us. You know, really from the beginning as well. I think a lot of. I don't know if this was was if this was your experience, but I I think a lot of founders start out kind of wearing every single hat. You know, they're the accountant, they're the bookkeeper, they're the janitor, they're the designer, sure. they're everything. Um, but it sounds like you've brought in a lot of talent, and you have a lot of people mm-hmm. working together with you. So that's that's really that's really awesome. How do you decide? How do you decide which pieces to take on yourself and which to uh, which to hand off? I think it's just based on things that you're most interested or passionate about mm-hmm. relative to the other folks in the room. Mm-hmm. So for example, um, with uh, Mike, who's our CTO and, and lead engineer, 
and Chris, who heads product, I think they're a great couplement on, on that front where Michael is really engaged on doing new technical development and, and Chris is really great at a lot of the fine details and, and pushing the, the product and release um, schedule. Uh, whereas, you know, if you look at Ryan and I, we also have a great couplement in terms of our working styles. Uh, Ryan's much more detail oriented than I am, right? Um, and and he, um, you know, he really keeps me on track in, in a lot of ways and handles a lot of the operations and finance stuff that um, that I probably would not enjoy as much of, but mm-hmm. also, um, you know, probably you know I'm not not as good at. Yeah, I'm finally reaching the point in my freelancing business where I'm like, okay, I'm I can. There are things that I just don't enjoy, or it takes too much time for me to do. I can hand that off to somebody who is much more qualified, yeah. probably enjoys it more, and can do it a lot faster than I can. And that's that's been a really good feeling, actually. Absolutely. Um, it's kind of along the same veins. What are some of the challenges and rewards of being an entrepreneur? So I think the main reward is seeing the product come to life and seeing your vision come to life. Mm-hmm. I think that is... That is first and foremost the biggest reward, and really um, the only way it comes to life is if it works for your clients uh, or customers. And so, seeing positive reactions from them on, oh my goodness, this is so easy, or this was going to save me so much time, or um, I can't believe you know I you know I never knew um, this existed, that kind of stuff. I think that is probably the most rewarding piece of it. Mm-hmm. I think understanding in in this context that we're helping um, sort of with a social mission is also very gratifying. And so we track things like how many total volunteer hours have have come through our system, how many volunteers are we you know tracking things like that. I think on the challenges, right? This is not unique to us, uh, but but <laughs> I, I I would say that those challenges shift over time. And mm-hmm. so at the beginning, it's really around, hey, do we do, do I have a team that's willing to work on this with me and and I'm excited to work with? Then to, oh my God, goodness, we have a bunch of people. How am I going to pay for them? Right. <laughs> and so, you know, fundraising and and making sure you have enough funds. Um, and then it's like, okay, well, I just convince all these people to trust in me and this vision I have. Now you got to do it, right? Can we deliver on that vision mm-hmm. um, and and sign up folks? And uh, and and oh, now we've signed up folks. Well, now you know, can we deliver on <laughs> on the promise that we just made to our clients, right? Mm-hmm. And then so on each stage, I mean, so, sometimes they. They coalesce and, and, and it happens together, but oftentimes I feel like it's uh, it's a little bit of a staged uh, mm-hmm. stress points, if you will. Mm-hmm. But then meeting each of those challenges is probably very rewarding. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, certainly they're uh, they're important milestones for us as a, as a company. Um, it's hard to uh, enjoy them in the moment at times uh, yeah. because you just move on to the next thing. But yeah. I agree, it's important to look back and say, "Hey, look how far we've come and all the amazing things that we've done." Mm-hmm. I think the great and not so great thing about having your own business is that you're never done, and there's always something else to do. And there's a, but there's all, but that also means there's always room to grow and room to improve. At least I find that. Yeah, there's a lot of I think yeah. I think one of the benefits of being an entrepreneur is you do grow 
much faster relative to other roles. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, people always told me, and and I think uh, you know, a number of analysts uh, when I was at in consulting, right, to like take more ownership and you know, um, really make this your own. And I think it was hard to really grasp what that meant uh, before starting my you know first business with mm-hmm. Red Jungle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How has your experience as an Asian American, maybe particularly an Asian American in the Midwest, uh, how has that shaped your perspective or maybe actions as an entrepreneur? That's an interesting question. Uh, there's no counterfactual, and so it's hard for me right. to, to, to say what, what I would have done differently. Um, certainly, you're always shaped by the opportunities that present themselves around you. While there's lots of nonprofits and service organizations across the world and, and, and really across the U.S., um, being here in the Midwest, I think we have a, a greater density of that, right? Mm. So if you think about cities like Pittsburgh or Cleveland, uh, where I think each of them ranks, you know, the number one in terms of foundation dollars per capita mm. or nonprofits per capita, uh, this is really a hotbed for for nonprofits. I think that's part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think from from the perspective of being an Asian founder here in the Midwest, <laughs> right? I mean, the, the the first thing I think is my name's not phonetic, right? right? And so there's you know small things like putting the pronunciation of my name in my emails and mm-hmm. things like that. Um, and, and, and I'm not sure that I would that necessarily shapes uh, what I do differently, um, but it certainly impacts or sort of the overall experience, if you yeah. will. Yeah, it's just something that you have to live with. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any advice for Asian Americans who want to be founders, either in the tech industry or in another industry? Sure. I think this is something I thought about um, fairly recently, which is there's a lot of Asian Americans in top tier schools, Mm -hmm. uh, certainly in entry level consulting, banking, technology roles. Um, I think there's actually not that many folks in sort of senior leadership. So mm-hmm. if you look at the top partners at venture capital firms, or if you look at the largest technology firms, um, it's it's get you know it's getting better and, and there's more diversity, but um, there's not as many as one might expect. Um, and I think there's a number of reasons for that, um, but one of them, you know, from from uh, you know in terms of founders. Um, I would say, you know, there's there's not as much risk as you might perceive there is to mm. be in terms of being a founder or an entrepreneur. I think this is particularly um, important with Asian American founders, perhaps based on their upbringing and, yeah. and so, you know their <laughs> risk you know, averseness, right? There, the, you know, your parents that want you to be a doctor or a lawyer or you know, um, something uh, in, in, in the professional class. Mm-hmm. And so there's also a lot of pressure at times to uh, adhere to that, right? And mm-hmm. I, I'm certainly, uh, uh, you know, I, I did go to business school. <laughs> <laughs> and so I can't say I, I fully ignored those things. Uh, but I think if, if you have a passion for something and you really want to try it, um, you know, a lot of folks think about the risk, and maybe that's even more firmly ingrained because your parents teach you about, like, oh my God, this is so 
so risky. Mm-hmm. Uh, but really, if you think about it, if if you become an entrepreneur, it's not like your value as an employee decreases effort, right? And you can mm-hmm. always go back to what you were doing at right. a minimum, right? Uh, and more likely, you know, you would have the opportunity to new, do new and cool, uh, better things, right? Mm-hmm. Because companies are often looking for folks that can quote unquote take ownership or perhaps have a more innovative or entrepreneurial bent to them to help drive new innovations within those companies. Yeah, I think then that has been my experience too, as I've you know started a variety of different freelancing and entrepreneurial ventures. You know, I'm trained as a teacher. And that's a pretty good fallback. Like I can always go back into teaching. I don't know that I want to at this point, but like I, yeah, I think that's a really good point that the risk is not always as high as we think it is. Like you're not, chances are, you know, if you've, if you've made it far enough to be able to start your own business, you're probably not going to just like crash and burn completely. Right, right. At least, hopefully not. And, and even if you do, right? It's it's all about did you learn from that experience? Mm-hmm. And certainly, there was the opportunity costs and the stress and all those other things that come with being an entrepreneur. Uh, but to your point, you, you can always go back to what you're doing, or you know, leverage the things that you learned and do something even better the next time around. Yeah, for sure. Right. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Jennifer. Glad to be here. Thanks for tuning in to Chief Executive Ante. You can find show notes, resource links, and more Ante rants at chiefexecutiveante.com. That's chiefexecutive, A-U-N-T-I-E.com. Special thanks to Sue Ann Shaw, who mixed and mastered this episode and composed the music, Alyssa De La Rosa, who created the branding, and my distribution partner, Mochi Magazine. Check out more stories for Asian American women at www.mochimag.com. That's M-O-C-H-I-M-A-G.com. See you next time.